Hey, thanks for being here on B-Team Sunday. The A-Team is taking a, a break. They're on the bench for today. We're putting in the B-Team, and uh, hopefully we still can uh, get a blessing from it. So thank you for being here. I got to preach on this day last year. If you remember what I preached on, on this day last year was God's plan for the new decade suffering. Little did I know what 2020 was going to be. Uh, so this year we're just, we're just preaching blessing. Blessing after blessing after blessing. And uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't have that kind of power, uh, unfortunately. If I did, man, that's all we would talk about today, just how much, man, we're going to be blessed in 2021. But uh, I don't have that authority. So something, I, I mean, I have a confession I have to make to you today. Something you can't see just right now with your eyes, but something that is happening, something I could be slightly embarrassed by, but I'm going to tell you anyway. See, yesterday, my mom, not yesterday. Man, Christmas. Woo, that was a couple days ago. So my mom had sent me some Christmas gifts, and I opened those on Christmas morning, and she knew, she knows how bad my feet are. Like, I mean, I mean, you can't see them right now. They got these snazzy shoes on here, but... Man, I got some cracked heels going on. So my mom mailed me this this big like foot spa thing. I mean, I, I know I'm a man, all right? But still, I I put my feet down in this foot spa thing. And then I she sent this like pet egg kind of callus thing. So man, I was going to work on those heels because my feet are bad. My, my wife won't even play foot me because my feet are just so so rough right so I I had to really work on my feet but then my my daughter my nine-year-old daughter decided that what my feet really needed was a good coat of amazing nail polish so right now even though you can't see it, my toenails are pretty, pretty blue. With, with some awesome bedazzle sparkles on them. Okay? My first time in my entire life I've ever preached with beautiful, beautiful toenails. I mean, you should be jealous of how awesome these are. But the point is, look, sometimes things are going on that looking at me, you would never know. You would have no, and maybe you didn't want to know, but you would have no clue. But it doesn't change the fact that they're there. Even though you can't see them, oh, they are there in all of their blue glory. They are there. Today, we're going to talk about Gideon. Gideon. We're going to be way back in Judges. Many of you have heard the name Gideon. Maybe you know someone named Gideon. Maybe you've heard this story 
hundreds of times. Maybe you could tell me a lot about the story. But we're going to be in Judges chapter 6 today. And we might just touch on part of the story that you haven't thought about before. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Judges chapter 6. If you have your phone, you can turn there. Or I'm pretty sure the words will be right here on our trusty screen. Oh man, I like that background too, Connor. Alright, so Judges 6, verse 11. Let's start there. The angel of the Lord came, and he sat under the oak that was in Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abazarite. His son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress, in order to hide it from the Midianites. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, valiant warrior. Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And where are all the wonders that our father told us about? They said, hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us, handed us over to Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the grasp of Midian. I am sending you. He said to him, Please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my... My family is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's family. But I will be with you, the Lord said to him, and you will strike Midian down as if it were one man. From the very beginning here, what jumps out to me in those first few verses, and what we're going to look at first here, is how Gideon had a fear problem. Gideon had a fear problem. Have you ever been afraid? Like, really afraid? For me, I remember the time that I was the, I think, one of the most afraid in my entire life. And it's caused me to have fear over and over again. That is a fear of boats. Sounds crazy. But man, a fear of boats. Because when I was younger... I was on a boat, a pontoon boat, to be exact. And pontoon boats aren't meant for, for speed. They're not meant for power. They're just meant to relax or chillax. You're just going to relax and chillax, chill and relax together, chillax. On a pontoon boat on the water, and just have a good, grand, glorious day. Well, I was with my family down in Jackson, Mississippi, and they had a big pontoon boat. We went out onto the lake. Beautiful day, blue skies, when out of nowhere, huge clouds started coming in. And you knew at this point, we probably shouldn't be out on this water anymore. So we slowly start making our way back to the dock. But at this point, it's, it's now too late. This huge storm has come in. And now it is pouring down rain. It is lightning. It is thunder. 
the waves are getting huge, and this little pontoon boat is not making it too well. The whole front end of our boat is going under the waves with each wave. Water is pouring up. Coolers are getting dragged out of the pontoon boat and into the water. And we, we're in trouble. And as a young boy, I am in the back of the pontoon boat just losing it. I mean, I am just sick and I am scared. And I'm not sure if we're going to make it. I was totally afraid. Luckily, a bigger boat, one that was built for power and speed, came, wrapped onto us, and towed us back into the docks. Or we never would have made it. I was terrified that one of us was going to die. We weren't going to make it. So after that, I, I didn't step foot on boats very much. The very next time I got on a boat was when my wife convinced me to get on a big river boat, which is a lot larger, uh, on our honeymoon. We got on one and had a dinner. But... I mean, that's years between. And even still, like getting out on a small boat, I gotta, gotta check myself a little bit. So, okay, is this really what I want to do? This is scary. I had a reason to be afraid in that moment. And Gideon has a reason to be afraid here. You can see in just a few verses before we started reading here that in verse 1 through 6 that hey the Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord so he handed them over to Midian. So then they went into hiding in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And then in verse 3 you see, whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites, several other groups there came and attacked them. They destroyed the produce of the land. They left nothing for Israel to eat, as well as no sheep, no ox, no donkey. In verse 5, it says, For the Midianites came with their cattle, with their tents, like a great swarm of locusts. And they entered the land to lay waste to it. So Israel became poverty-stricken because of the Midianites. Had a good reason to be afraid, right? And if you have this big tribe coming in, this big group coming in, and they are laying waste to everything, you have nothing to eat, your crops are devoured, your food, your ox, your sheep, they're done for. You got no donkeys. They're coming in like a big swarm of locusts. And just laying waste to everything. And now you are poverty stricken. To me, that sounds like a pretty good reason to be afraid. I would be afraid. It's not like a pretty good reason to have some fear. So we find Gideon now threshing wheat in a wine press. So we find him here in verse 11. Uh, 
the author here does a good job of just painting the scene for us when the angel comes, tells you exactly where he finds Gideon, exactly what Gideon is doing, and why he's there doing it. He's there to hide it from the Midianites. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. Even though I'm from a, a small country town in Mississippi, I don't know much about threshing wheat. I don't know much about wine presses. But luckily, my friend, my good friend, Dr. Googlay does. I don't know if you know Dr. Googlay, um, but I do, and a great, great friend of mine. And I can ask him any question, and he just, he knows the answer, right? He, might, he probably even has pictures sometimes. He just pulls out and shows me. But Dr. Googlay, he's, he's a good, good dude. So I went to him with these questions. Hey, how do you thresh wheat? What's a wine press look like? All right. So when you're threshing wheat, you got the big stalks of wheat. And you're going to bang them either on the ground, on the walls maybe. You're going to bang them around, probably not on the wall, but you're banging them around until the grain separates from the straw. Maybe sometimes you have this wooden little hammer type of thing and you're banging on it with that. But you're going to separate the grain from the straw. And then you can take in the winnowing process this and toss it up in the air. And the wind will cause the grain to separate from the straw. The grain being heavier will fall back down in the straw the wind will kind of carry off to the side. And that's how you thresh and winnow the wheat. Now a wine press, it's a big basin dug out. And you're going to be there and you're going to have your, your grapes there and you're going to stump on them with your bare feet. And you're going to be hanging on maybe some ropes that are built above you uh, so you have some little bit of shade there it's a hot process banging on those with your feet and then the juices run down and you have a healthy mix of grape juice and feet juice uh, <laughs> there, there and people drank that um, but, you, but you have that there but it's a place that you have some shade and you have some things you're hanging on to so you don't slip in the grapes. And it's not meant for a very strong breeze. See, these two things don't normally go together. Threshing wheat and a wine press. But here's the deal. Fear can often cause us to act in ways that are irrational. Fear can often cause us to do things that we wouldn't normally do in a way that we wouldn't normally do them. Fear can be disorienting. Have you had any fears this year? Have you had any fears this year? Maybe sickness? Been scared of sickness this year? Maybe death? scared of dying this year? How about 
others' opinions. Been scared of others' opinions. Maybe scared of making the wrong decision. Maybe you're scared of the loss of freedom. Scared of government overreach. We have a lot that we can be scared of this year. If it makes you feel better, we can call it, I mean, for pride purposes, we can call it a great concern instead of a fear. But the results are the same. Many of these things have caused us to act in ways we wouldn't normally act. Many of these things have caused us to act in irrational ways because of a fear of what they're going to bring. 2020 has brought forth a lot of fears. We can be seen in how we act, what we post. What we spend most of our time talking and complaining about. Oh, just going out. It's like some music. I'd be like some good music to do this to. Let's see if that works better. Let's see. Is that any better? Is that better? Wow. Okay. You know. We'll have this on standby. Just in case we need it. All right. All of us have had something we could be afraid of this year. And all of us have probably had some fears, whether we want to admit it or not. Because a lot of times, especially as men, we don't want to admit that we're scared of something. So we change the name and say, I'm concerned about it. or I have a great concern about it. But in reality, it's a fear. And we can see it by the way we post, by the way we talk the way we act, or what we complain about the most, we can see that some type of fear has been present in each of us this year. This fear has caused us to act in irrational ways. Example. Christians bad-mouthing and just dishing out on other Christians over opinions. Over opinions. And we're brothers and sisters in the faith, and yet we're letting opinions divide us. Doesn't seem rational. Because we're brothers and sisters in the faith. We should be a little tighter together than something as simple as a worldly opinion to shatter us. But fear has caused all of us to act in irrational ways. Ways that we wouldn't normally act and to say what we wouldn't normally say. So does fear have a place in the Christian life? Is fear a sin? If it is, then all of us have some major repenting to do, don't we? Well, fear is an emotion given to us by God. In its basic 
form, fear is meant to protect us from danger. Right? To motivate us to get out of harm's way. Are you in sin if you ride a roller coaster and you scream out in fear? Or if you're going 70 miles per hour down the highway and all of a sudden the car in front of you slams on their brakes? Are you in sin for being afraid then? Like anger, the presence of fear in itself is not a sin, but it can lead to sinful behavior if we're not careful. Fear in itself is not sin, but when that fear leads to a lack of trust in God's providential care, that fear has become sinful. So what's the answer to this type of fear? that causes us to lack faith. Well, I don't want to give away my last point just yet. So let's look at Gideon's next problem here. Gideon had a doubt problem. Gideon had a doubt problem. Verse 13, Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about? They said, hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. Lord, I've heard what you've done in the past. I've heard stories all about you. But where are you now? Have you been there before? In sickness? In divorce? In loss of a job? When life seems to be falling apart? God, where? Are you? God, I, I go to church. I read your Bible. I know who you are. But I can't seem to find you anywhere, God. Right now, things are just falling apart. My spouse just left me. My kids don't want anything to do with me. I'm losing my job. I can't pay the bills. Our, God, our child is sick and in the hospital. What are we going to do? God, I know who you are, but I can't seem to find you anywhere right now. Are you even here? Where are you? I've heard about you. But it seems now you've abandoned me. Have you been there before? For honest, many of us have. It's a doubt problem that many of us can relate to. So for me, uh, without the, the risk of sharing the same story too many times, because I know many of you have heard this story before, but for me, that doubt problem really, really came into play in my life with the death of my best friend as a 12-year-old boy playing in the backyard this far away 
from my best friend when a brick column fell on her, crushed her skull, and killed her instantly. And see, here's the deal. It was my weight on top of the fence that caused the column to fall. It was me that caused, whether it be accident or not, to cause the column to fall and kill my best friend. And almost instantly, the doubts began to creep in. God, why did you let that happen? God, if you really are a God of love, why did this happen? God, I've heard how much you love me. I've heard it in church. I've heard it in songs that I sang. I've heard it from my grandma over and over and over. But this doesn't look very loving to me. And then those doubts transform to <laughs> doubts about myself too, right? Like, okay, well, understand now, God, there's no possible way you could love someone like me. There's no possible way you could care for someone like me. I murdered my best friend. And the doubts are usually almost always accompanied by lies. And those lies and those doubts kept growing and growing. And doubts left unchecked continue to fester and to grow. And for me, it festered and grew to the point of hating myself, hating life, formed into a depression. And as a result of this incident, eventually the doctors had put me on antidepressants for a while. How could God be loving and let that happen? And you start to doubt, where is God? Does he even care? And has God abandon us. Asking questions of God in the middle of tragedy, in the middle of pain, in and of itself is not sinful. You see, God is big enough to handle your questions. It's not sinful to ask God those questions. It's not simple. It's like, God, where are you? God's big enough to handle that question. But see, sin starts to arise when we then allow human reason to overshadow our faith in God. And that's when doubt slowly becomes sinful. Our human reason says, well, God obviously is not real. God obviously is not here. If he's letting these things happen, then I doubt that God even exists. Have you seen the moon recently? I mean, I know it's tough in this area this time of year to really see the moon right it, it's tough 
So a lot of nights you can go out there and never really see the moon. But even during the summer when you go out there, a lot of times you see only part of the moon. Maybe just a little small fingernail crescent of a moon. Maybe you see half of the moon. And then on the occasion, you might see the whole moon. But just because on all the other nights you can't see the whole moon doesn't mean the moon has shrunk in size. It doesn't mean the moon is not there. Just because you can't always see the moon in its entirety doesn't mean the moon is not always fully whole. It's there. It's there all the time. In the same size all the time. It is there full, round, great moon. But we always can't see it. But just because we can't see it doesn't mean that we doubt its existence. It's there. Whether we can see it or not. Don't let what you can see or what you cannot see cause you to have major doubts in your faith. And it's tough. It's tough in the middle of tragedy not to have those doubts. But don't let what you can see or what you cannot see cause you to have major doubts in your faith. Don't let your faith be decided by your feelings. Whether you feel like God is doing anything or not shouldn't control your faith or lack thereof. Feelings go up and down with blood sugar. If I let my feelings take the will of my life, they crash my job, they crash my marriage, and my faith many, many times over. If your faith is controlled by your feelings, your faith is not going to last very long. We may not always have all the answers to all of our questions. We may not know, oh God, how can you let this happen? We may never know. I may never know why God allowed Amy to die the way she did. I may never know why God caused my weight to fall and killed her. I may never have the answer to that. Even though I've asked God over and over and over many times, I may never know. We may never, never have all the answers to our questions, our doubts, but God does provide a solution to our doubts and our fears, just like he did with Gideon. So number three. God's solution. God's solution to the fear problem, to the doubt problem. And it's right here. We can see in verse 14, him saying, I am sending you. And in verse 16, then, but I will be with you. Here's the solution that God gives to all of our fears and all of our doubts. I am with you. I am with you. Emmanuel. 
Christmas. God with us. Emmanuel, God is with us. And because he is with Gideon, Gideon is called a valiant warrior. The Lord is with you, valiant warrior. Even in a fear problem, even in a doubt problem, he is called a valiant warrior. God did not run from Gideon's fears. God did not keep away from Gideon's doubts. God met Gideon right where he was, in the middle of his fear, in the middle of his doubt. He met Gideon and comforted him there with the words, I am with you. I am with you. And look at God's character and the way he interacted with Gideon. His interactions with Gideon's doubts and fears. He doesn't rebuke Gideon here. He does not shame Gideon here. He doesn't simply say to Gideon, hey, do better and move on. God comforts him with his very presence and says, I am with you. See, this interaction shows me just how weak my own character is when I'm faced with the failures and weaknesses of others. It's much easier to say, do better and move on. There's certainly a time and a place for a gentle rebuke. We can see that all throughout Scripture. But how often do we rebuke when the situation calls for patient forbearance, for comfort and encouragement? Sinners definitely need rebuke in certain situations, but we also need comfort and encouragement in the midst of repeated failures and besetting weaknesses. If God does this, if Jesus does this, shouldn't we be more than willing to do the same? Because we've been through many of the same fears, many of the same anxieties, and many of the same doubts. Shouldn't we be all the more willing to help instead of criticize? In the middle of our doubts, in the middle of our fears, God is with us. In the middle of our failures, God is still with us. As believers, here's another little kicker for us. God is with us, but as a believer, God is not just with you. Even greater, God can be in you. Not just with you, but now in you as well. See, as a Christian, Christ is living in you. He's familiar with your pain. He put on human flesh. He walked this trouble-filled world. He sympathizes with our weaknesses, and he has been there before, and he understands. God can be in you. 
now and not just with you. So how do we handle our fears and our doubts? Because obviously we're going to have them. We've had them this year. And how do we approach those? How do we handle those? How do we make sense of those? What do we do with those? Number one, make sure you are clinging to Jesus. Make sure you are clinging to Jesus. You can't cling to Jesus if you don't know who he is. If you've never committed your life to Jesus, you can't really cling to Jesus. Have you done that? None of the other things I'm going to say even matter if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. you've never done that, you're kind of just there in your fear and doubt with no solution. God is with you and God can be in you. But you have to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You have to commit your life to him. You have to repent of your sin, repent of your unfaithfulness and commit your life to him. He offers forgiveness because of what his son had done on the cross for you, Jesus Christ. And you have to accept it. Nothing else matters if you haven't done that. You can read your Bible all you want. You can pray until you can't pray anymore. But if you haven't really committed your life to Christ, if you haven't really repented of your sin and accepted his forgiveness, it doesn't really matter. You're not going to get anything from it if you hadn't gotten Jesus first. Have you committed your life to Christ? And if you've done that, cling to Him. That's your first step. In your doubts and your fears, cling to Jesus. And secondly, in your doubts and your fears, cling to the Word of God. It's hard to trust a stranger. You hear that? It's hard to trust a stranger. If you don't really know who God is, if you don't really know who Jesus is, is it's hard to trust someone you don't know it's hard to trust someone you don't know about if I just know your name it's a lot harder for me to trust you than if I just know about you as well if I've spent time with you If I've spent time talking to you, if we've, man, just spent hour after hour together, it's a lot easier for me to trust you. It's hard to trust a stranger. Get to know God. Read the accounts of how God has over and over and over and over and over again been trustworthy and faithful and good and then trust he will do the same for you. See, Gideon knew the stories. 
but he wasn't really trusting that God was going to do the same for him. So don't just know the stories. Know that God will do the same for you. That God will be with you. The more a believer learns about the person of God, the more his faith will increase. So cling to Jesus in your doubts and fears. Cling to the word of God in your doubts and fears. Number three, make sure you're spending time in prayer. Pray to God. Listen daily in a quiet place with no distractions. That's hard when you have kids. But with no distractions, spend time with God. Keep a prayer journal. Write out your prayer request to God and then go back and write when he answers those. And before long, you'll have your own little manifest of how God has been faithful to you. You have your own little book of how God has answered your prayers. So when that doubt starts to creep in, when that fear starts to creep in, you've clung to Jesus, you read his word, and now you've pulled this out and said, yeah, God, here, right here, a month ago, two months ago, five years ago, God, I prayed this prayer and you answered in this way. God, you have been faithful to me. Because oftentimes, if we don't have that to look back on, we forget. We're forgetful people. And it's really, really tough in the middle of your hard time like Gideon here. Because I can guarantee you that God had been with Gideon before. But in the middle of a hard time, it's tough to remember that. It's tough to remember where God is. It's tough to remember what God has done when you're hurting. So write that down. Go to it. Say, God, this is where you were faithful in my life. And I trust you'll be faithful again. And lastly, make sure you're spending time with other believers. Confide in them. That's tough sometimes. Right? It's tough to admit you have blue toenails in front of your friends. It's tough to spill your dirt in front of people you love. But trust that they're right there with you. You'll be surprised how many times we're all going through the same thing if we were just willing to talk about it. We'd be right there helping one another more. Confide in one another. Listen to stories about how God has been faithful in the life of your friends. And trust that he'll be faithful in your life just like that. Listen, God may not calm every storm in your life. He's not going to. He may not take away every fear or every doubt that you have. He may not take away your anxieties. He may not take away your depression. Those are real things. I'm not trying to make light of anxiety and depression today and say all you need is more God. Those are real conditions and real things. And I'm not making light of those. 
God may never take away your anxiety and your depression. You may be on medication for that your entire life, and guess what? That's okay. God's still with you, and God still loves you. We're not making light of those things. God may not take away every doubt and every fear and every storm that you have, but he promises you that he will be with you in the middle of every single one of those, just like he was with Gideon in the middle of his doubt, in the middle of his fear. And he will comfort you with his presence, just like he comforted Gideon with his presence. You may still have fears, you may still have doubts, but he is with you and he is in you. And when he says, do not fear, it's a reminder of the hope and comfort of Christ's presence. Do not fear is not said with condemnation, but as a reminder of where to place your eyes. Because we have him, we have everything we need. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You are not alone. God is with you. You fearful, doubtful, valiant warriors. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much that you don't give up on us. That God, in the middle of our fear, in the middle of our doubt, you don't run away from us. God, that you meet us right there in all of our mess. Right? In all of our, just the disaster we've made of ourselves. You meet us right there. You're not scared to get dirty where we are. when our life is filled with fear and our life is filled with doubt you haven't abandoned us you haven't run from us you haven't said oh I'm not going over there I'm too holy for that God you've met us right here and we can trust that you are with us that you can remove doubt that you can calm fears. And we can trust by clinging to your son, by reading your word, by praying and spending time with one another that you are right here. You're not taking the day off. Back in July, you didn't say, well, 2020 is a disaster. I'm done for the rest of the year. God, you're right here with us now, just like you were at the beginning of the year. Help us to go to you in our fears. A lot of times we can get in our own mind. Say, God doesn't want to know about my fears. God doesn't want to know about my doubts. And then those fears and doubts continue to grow because we haven't given them to you. God, help us to give all of our fears and all of our doubts to you. And rest in your comfort. Rest in your peace. Rest in your everlasting arms. Oh, that you've got us. You're bigger than our fears. 
you're greater than our doubts. God, as I talked about a few minutes ago, I pray if there's someone in this room who has never committed their life to you, that they'll do that today. Without you, we are without hope. And I pray that if someone's without hope today, they will not leave the same way. But they will be filled with hope that only you can give today. That they will commit their life to you. They'll repent of their sin. They'll ask for your forgiveness, God. And that you will change their life. God, we love you. Thank you for using us. In our fears and our doubts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.